0: Hello, I'm Dana Davenport, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a show on Naperville community television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions
1: on every side of an issue. And I'm Rebecca malaki Meslin. After a year of contentious national elections, our focus now turns to local politics, including school board, park district, and city council. Interest in local elections has soared and people are eager to weigh in on the decisions that directly impact the citizens of our local community. We'll be talking to former members of the school boards, Park District, and City Council to hear about their experiences and their thoughts on where we are today. Here, through courageous conversations in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. We're talking with former Neighborville City Council members about the upcoming City Council elections. Welcome Rebecca Boyd Obarski and Ken Miller. Thank you both so much for joining us. I think I'd like to open up
0: with emphasizing how important the local elections are and, and what the city council's direct impact is on our local community.
2: Sure, I'll I'll kick it off. Um I think the the local elections are important because they really are about our neighborhoods, our streets in Naperville, who who does business in our town and how they do business. Um, Ken and I both have a background of serving it with the Fire and Police Board, and so I always say what comes first is public safety, and public safety is a local issue. And then the other piece that's so important about a local election are really our roads right so our roads are local and and how we fund our roads how the traffic lights work those things that we always talk about and ken's going to love it i'll hand it to him on this but brush pickup and snow removal so these are local issues and it's the city council
0: that makes those kind of local decisions and those are very important ken
3: well rebecca is correct uh, there, there are two seasons we have snow plowing in the winter and brush pickup in the fall. (laughs) So um, those are city services. And and so when you talk about the impact, um, it's very significant. Safety is definitely always in the minds of individuals as well as the council. Uh, But there are other things that we may forget that Naperville is one of the few cities that provides electricity. But I can tell you from my experience in working with other communities, when I was on the council, they were very jealous of the city of Neighborville because we controlled the electricity. Um, you don't find too many overlap. You don't, I think it's 93%, something like that, of the overhead electric, uh, or it's all, all underground. There's about 7% is not underground. And that's an amazing task that's been done over the decades. So it has a great impact on uh, our lives every day. So it is important, and people should pay attention to their city council.
1: With that being said, uh, we understand that typically turnout at local elections is low, um, and it's not unique to Naperville. But given that, why are you know, what are the reasons why people should care even more perhaps this year about voting in their local elections?
3: Uh, Well, I'll take take this one to start it. Um, I think one needs to think about their everyday activities and what goes on and how it's impacted and so your the services we talked about uh, infrastructure of the roads where you drive wherever you're going taking the kiddos to school and taxes those are three main things so how can it uh, be important to uh, follow the, the election and vote for someone that you thinks we can do the best job for you. Um, just recently, niche.com posted that the city of Naperville was named the best place to raise a family. Yep. Also uh, have the best public schools. That's huge. Now, some people can argue about these kind of surveys, but they could have named someone else as the top uh, place to raise a family. And so that didn't happen overnight, and it's not a political vote kind of thing. It's built over the years on improving things and doing the best that the council can do to uh, keep their citizens safe and give them the best services possible. That's how you get those kind of ratings. So therefore, that's why you should pay attention and vote.
2: In. Opposite to the national and state elections, it's done in a nonpartisan way. And so while right now as a country, we are very partisan focused, um, the city council is really about your neighbors coming together and making decisions that impact you. And when when you look at city council voting, um, it, it's just great to see that interesting array on every issue, the way it differs, because people aren't voting along a ticket or a a party, they're voting based on what they think is most important on that particular issue on that night for Naperville and not just now, but for the future. There's been a lot of talk about how over the years, decisions were made that might've seemed really kind of mundane in the moment. And yet decisions like the underpass on Washington Street under the train tracks, what a difference that makes in our community versus other communities. And that certainly has nothing to do with someone's politics. It's about how do we best serve the people of Naperville? So as, as residents think about, am I gonna vote or not? They need to think about who am I gonna go talk to about some of the development that might happen in the next few
3: years. Let me, let me add to, far because it was mentioned about the uh, percentage uh, of voters in the local elections. And as one who has been elected to city council, it's disappointing that maybe only 18 to 25% of the voters will vote in a local election versus 70 to 80% in a national election. That is disappointing because when you get in a situation that we're looking at on April 6th, we have 11 candidates so those votes are going to be uh, spread across those 11 candidates, and you could get elected to the council by under 10 votes. That's happened, and um, doesn't mean it's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that not majority did not have a, a vote or were part of that decision. So your vote does count.
0: <laughs> your vote absolutely counts, particularly because you said there's so many people running, Ken. Can you can you talk a little bit about um, the fact that we have such a large number of people running and what motivates them to run for office? Why are there so many people interested in the local politics and what's happening? Why are so many people interested in being on, on the council?
3: Um, the motivation can be dependent upon that individual. And so you could have 11 different reasons why someone wants to run for council. And that's okay, except I always am concerned if someone is a, what, what you would call a one issue candidate. And if their only reason to uh, run for office is, I've got this, this bug about this item and I'm gonna go take care of it. Um, one really needs to be uh, more broad and looking at uh, the big picture with city council that you're there to take on a lot of different issues and you want to do what's right for the citizens, so you need to participate, be involved. Um, the motivation could be, like myself, I want to serve. I think it came from my background and my family, who have been my father and my, my sister, have been mayor of our little small town. And I think I learned from that that, um, you know, you want to give back. But so I think that's some of the motivation and part my motivation to give back to the city. Because I moved here from a long ways away um, and uh, love Naperville so much and what this town means to, to individuals that I wanted to do something to help and participate. How about you, Rebecca?
2: I think that's what motivates everyone who runs for council is that sense of service. And I have found Naperville to be an extraordinary city for service, whether it's through our service organizations, the volunteers in schools, and scouts and um, churches. So we're we're a city of people that want to do something. We we want to be involved, and the more involved you are, the more familiar you become with the issues around town. And of course, then it's a sense of well, you know what? I I'd like to be a part of it too. And then I think. For me and for many people that I served with, it was someone encouraging you or inviting you to run for office. So it wasn't necessarily that I had my eye on sitting on council, but people asked me and said, we'd like you to do that. You know, this is a good time for you to serve. So while tonight's topic is not about that, I would encourage people going forward, if you know someone that you think is a good public servant and is objective and, and would serve Naperville well. Encourage them to step up.
1: I think that's a great point. Um, there's so much that the city council is responsible for, as you mentioned, um, but it's not just one person, right? It's it's a team of people. It's the collaboration, right? Um, and Ken, what you said about you know uh, coming in with one issue. Uh, oftentimes, if somebody does come in with one issue and they don't uh, it doesn't go their way, you know they can be defeated or disappointed um, if not everyone else wants to collaborate with them on that issue. so thinking about those the collaboration piece, thinking about how it really is um, a group of of individuals who are there to serve the needs of our community um, as a whole collectively, what are some of the examples of what the city council has accomplished. What are those kind of big of note? You mentioned the um, the underpass, you know, some of those other notable things. Share with us some of the things that you think are some of the greatest accomplishments of the Naperville City Council.
2: I'll happen in. Um, when, when I was on the council, uh, that, that council that started in 2015 and, and Steve Cherico as mayor adopted some fiscal principles that we then agreed would be how we would lead and, and how we would lead our policy for the next four years. And those were such good, sound principles, reducing debt and building up the reserves, making the operating budget balance, that it put us in a great position for this pandemic that we would have never predicted. But Naperville then had the wherewithal. Fortunately, we haven't needed it. We've performed well. But good fiscal management is one of the things that I believe our council has done and and probably doesn't get quite enough credit for because it's not very, you know, not very fancy. <laughs> um, I, I also think that we've over the years done a great job of having what I would call a balanced council. And I think that happens because of the voters. Right. We've, we've done a good job of representing really the, the demography of Naperville. And as that is becoming more diverse, we're seeing more diverse candidates come forward. And I hopefully we'll, that will continue. As I said before, I think it comes up from below. So you don't just walk in one day and say, hey, you need me on council, but you actually get to know the systems and you come in. Right. So I think that, that representation of our city and again, of your neighbors is another thing that Naperville does well and I think will continue to do well. There, are,
3: there were a lot of uh, great things that our forefathers had, have done that didn't realize the long-term impact of what they did. Uh, for example, the the Riverwalk, because at the time this decades ago, but at the time it was not very attractive, and they knew they were competing with uh, Aurora's uh, mall that they were installing. and They made the decision to make a change. The underpass of the railroad—it's all also another one. great benefit that people don't even think about because they use it, go underneath it every day, and it's just there. Uh, being its own electric company, water. Provider is uh, uh, other important things uh, that were done that really makes Naperville special today. Um, The future, I don't know what's what's going to happen. We were surprised this last summer, last fall with early last year with COVID, and last summer with the protest and damage to our downtown. Uh, That's a shocking thing for a town like Naperville been steady going steady for a long time so there there can be some issues going forward that we need to address that we really really don't know yet how deep they are and what they're about Um, but i have the confidence that the city council and other leaders will make it right
0: i do think that the future is quite uncertain um and i appreciate First of all, some of the things that you've said with respect to the accomplishments that we've done in the past historically uh, with the council. And it's, I think it's important to accentuate that because I think not everybody appreciates you know some of the little things. And some of those little things may seemingly be little to the citizens, but a lot of work and thought and planning and care went into that. Um, but I do wanna talk a little bit about the future and what you think may be some of the greatest challenges Facing these um, councilmen and women um, coming up when after the elections, you know, what advice do you think uh, you could offer um, for some of the things that you think they may be facing that they may or may not even be anticipating right now?
3: Uh, well, there there are many. First of all, it's the COVID. Uh, we have to deal with that and do the best we can to. Uh, Get back to where we were pre-COVID, but there's some big issues. Uh, affordable housing is one that's uh, been on the on the books for a long time, and it's a difficult situation with no. Uh, with Naperville, I think, is that there's a lot, not a lot of space to for new development, so it makes it a real challenge to try to meet the goal or the objective. Um, but that needs to be addressed, and we need to get that finalized. Um, other big projects like Fifth Avenue. That's a huge one. I'm not sure if I could provide any recommendations. <laughs> it take, take a lot of time and a lot of work. And I think we found that when they attempted to try to put something together that it is a real difficult uh, decision and you have to spend more time on the future impact of whatever you do and try to get that crystal ball and, figure out what that might mean. Although well, I, I think there are some areas that we have left that I think are issues, for example, in the South the Polo Fields, down in South uh, Naperville was proposed and it didn't go through at least because it's very meaningful versus when I moved here, it was like open, open land all the farm, farmland around me. When they built the house, you had no idea of the impact. Well, today, there is a, a big impact on your neighbors. Uh, depending on how that uh, development goes. So those, those are difficult, developments are difficult decisions along with something like affordable housing.
2: I agree. And I think that the nature of development in Naperville is changing. As Ken said, we were, we were surrounded by farmland. And so it was just these big, beautiful subdivisions that we put out there. And now we've got just a couple open spaces left. But what we have mostly is infill. So we have opportunities to maybe change some housing someplace or or change a strip mall in in some way. And I think as, as council looks at that, you know, we hear a lot of talk during city council campaigns that they're gonna listen to the people and we certainly want them to listen to the people. I think for me, I had a huge learning curve my first two years on council. I did not come from a planning and development background. Ken did, Ken came up to the planning commission so I had to learn a lot about, um, about zoning and entitlements. And I think as council members learn that, and then they begin to see how they actually balance what, what the landowner has the right to, what the residents surrounding the area might want, and then the impact on that infrastructure. You know, Ken mentioned the polo club. Um, what a great opportunity to build down there, but the infrastructure just could not support what was wanted. So when, when, I look, when I talk with people that are running for city council and I, I look at what they're gonna have ahead, we don't know where in town the next issue will be, but those are gonna be the issues they have to tackle. They've gotta balance those, those facets of development, whether it's a, you know, a, a new townhouse development or a huge multifamily, you know, 100 acre development.
1: It's the nature of, of what council does. One of the things that we also want to mention um, that you actually brought up earlier, Rebecca, was about the partisanship, right? Um, And so the fact that these are nonpartisan elections, uh, and after a year of very partisan national elections that we were all a part of, um, I think we saw the pros and cons of that. But these are nonpartisan, and some people may not know that. Um, But talk to us a little bit about why you think they should or should not be Nonpartisan elections in, in the local community?
2: The nonpartisan aspect of it is, well, first of all, it's one of the reasons I felt comfortable running because I didn't want to put on a you know a team jersey and and work for one team or the other. I think also because of the nature of the decisions that council makes, again, it's about zoning, it's about liquor laws, it's about um, taxes within our own communities, so like a home rule sales tax. We really don't need somebody to tell us how to vote, right? It's, so the nature of parties, when you look at how a party functions in a state or at the national level, it's about getting your people together and then you want them to work as a block. And heaven forbid somebody becomes that independent, right? That moderate and the spotlight intensely shines on them. In council voting, when I think when it's working well, we change spots all the time. So we don't vote as blocks. We vote with what we bring to the council, what our background is, what our interests or passions are. And we vote based on the issue, not based on what our party leadership might have as their agenda. So I I think for Naperville's sake, keeping it very Naperville focused is really what's going to keep us this wonderful island in the state of Illinois.
3: I agree with that. I think in the past, my experience being on council was we would, one would uh, could be challenged and there could be a, a, different, a difference and you could debate it. But at the end of the day, when the vote was taken, it was kind of, everybody moved on. And frankly, I don't see all of that today. I, I do see some partisanship. It can be on an issue or it could be politically motivated. Um, and I throw that out as personal opinion. Um, but, um, it, it concerns me that it seems to be more politics. And I think it was the, uh, former U S house representative, uh, Tip O'Neill who made the famous statement that all politics is local. So what you get in that is someone on city council may have a long-term motivation to have a higher office. And, and so those politics can play in on how you decide something, making a decision that could be favorable to your political allies. Uh, I throw that out as a concern and uh, hope people will think about Naperville first.
0: And I think that's a very valid concern uh, to, stay focused on the things that really matter um, because we can get bogged down in, in other ties that impact our ability to be successful. And so one question I have is how do you think, or how would you advise that the residents of Naperville should measure success of the council?
3: I, I think that's hard for me to measure how what, how they're going to be successful. But there, but there are things that uh, if one were to dig into the, uh, the city of Naperville, you can go to the website and they have goals listed. They have a dashboard there on how they're doing against those goals. Uh, so there are certain measurements, but you get into the situation that we had this last summer um, and with COVID, COVID really impacted the city of Naperville as all communities. So their goals right now, I think, what I would term muted, they're they're kind of played down or modified because uh, they just didn't have the wherewithal and there were other things impacting their ability to to meet their goals. But I think they've done a great job of overcoming uh, COVID the best they can. Um, And we're getting back on track, so uh, I feel good about that. Um, But I I would look to their actual goals. And earlier we talked about the debt and budget, that type of thing, certainly to look at that and where they spend their money. Uh, I always want to bring up one of those issues that people don't think about is that Naperville has one of the lowest property tax rates of our neighbors. Now you can argue about the cost of housing, which is, different because naperville typically has a higher value average value than some of our neighbors but they've been able to keep the uh, property tax rate low as rebecca pointed out of uh, on the budget um, reducing debt uh, putting more money in reserves that you would, would need for a longer term issue so um those are the kind of things to look at and when one is campaigning, try to determine where are they with some of these issues with budget and uh, reserves, and, uh, et cetera.
4: I think I
2: would add to that that now and then there are issues that come up that residents become very passionate about. And without throwing, you know, without putting us on an off-ramp, um, you know, certainly for for years, we've, we've had debates about the humane ordinance. Last year, we had a, a big debate about recreational marijuana recreational cannabis in Naperville. Periodically, we have debates about our our liquor ordinances and and where and how we sell alcohol in town. So people will now and then have a, a hot button issue that they really care about. For the most part, what I've found is if life is good in Naperville and we're winning those best place to live in the country awards, then your council's doing a good job because a lot of what the city does through the staff, who is an exemplary professional group, it happens behind the scenes. So when life is good in Naperville, that means your council's doing a really good job.
3: Yeah, let me let me add that uh so the average house in Naperville may spend 600 dollars on their property tax bill for city services. I'll think about that. A fire, police. And, and all the other services you get, $600 a year. That's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal.
0: We've got a great community and we are certainly fortunate and blessed. We will continue our conversation on Finding Common Ground about local elections and how you should get involved when we come back. Don't go anywhere.
5: Stay in the know, at home or on the go with NCTV 17 news update. This quick recap of everything happening in and around town will be delivered straight to your email inbox for free.
0: Sign up today. Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. We're talking now about park district and school board elections with Mary Lou Worley, former park district commissioner, former Forest Preserve Commissioner, and currently a member of the Naperville Outdoor Alliance. Dean Reschke, former school board president of Naperville District 203, and Alcatile,
1: former vice president board member of the Indian Park Prairie School District 204. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad you're here to talk a little bit more about these elections. So the first question we wanna ask is, what is the board's direct impact to our local citizens, both the school board as well as the park district board?
4: Well, the Park District Board impacts our local citizens by providing leadership and policies that guide human well being through the management and health of 2,400 acres of public lands, which include 60 parks and 60 miles of trails and 137 parks. We also, as a board, hire the executive director.
6: I would say that uh, for the school district, uh, the school board and, and members really represent the town and um, what the town's aspirations are for its schools. So um, it has to cull the information and the aspirations from the community as a whole. And it has to um, sort of turn those into what we call uh, a school district. And uh, the path has been laid many years ago for this, and we've hired uh, many staff and and, uh, school board members still on a continuing basis reflect the aspirations of the community, its values, what it wants to have accomplished through its mission statement, and then holding uh, the organization as a whole accountable for those things.
5: I'd say the school board acts as a trustee of citizens' education tax dollars, which in Naperville is 80% of the property tax. Uh, Home values uh, depend in large part on the reputation of the school district. Uh, I'd also say that the school board enacts uh, policy and works with the administration to decide the direction of the school district, um, which includes how prepared our graduates should be uh, for their next step after high school. Um, I'd also say that a school board uh, and its decisions really directly impact the economic vibrancy of the town and community. Uh, by attracting employers and businesses and families that want to uh, live here, work here and raise children here.
0: Local elections have been such a hot topic lately. People are very engaged, very interested in who's running and what the issues are. Can you talk a little bit about why we care so much about voting in these local elections and, and what the hot topics are now that we should be focusing on?
4: I think voting in local elections is every citizen's immediate connection to understanding and affecting the future of their community. Uh, hot button issues rise based on public interest, as uh, my fellow speakers have, have mentioned. And to quote a long-standing, uh, long-time community leader, Judge winn any community worth living in is worth doing something for. And voting is a very important personal contribution to your community. Well,
5: I think voting is, first of all, uh, it's a very interesting uh, paradox in that most of the planning uh, and development decisions that impact our day-to-day lives, uh, such as should we or should we not uh, build a new subdivision or a school? You know, should we elect uh, you know, our councilmen by wards or at large? um what type of energy energy source do we want our energy to come from and more recently uh how should we handle the profits from uh the legalized sale of marijuana all of these uh, decisions really hinge on local elections and the elected officials and sadly uh even 20 years ago only 26% of Uh, voting age citizens that were eligible to vote actually voted in local elections Uh, 10 years ago that was down to uh, 21% I believe and it is still frightfully low Um, not a good sign of democracy in action Um, I'd also say that the higher the voter turnout the better the representation of the whole electorate you know as a whole um, when the voter turnout is really low that definitely uh, suffers.
6: Um, I would echo those comments. And I might mention um, that uh, Judge Winnock, by the way, who made that infamous comment at Benedictine in the 50s was uh, Mary Lou's grandfather Mm -hmm. and had a big influence on the city of Naperville. Um, And uh, I I wish, kind of like Alka said, that um, uh, voter participation was higher We used to try to sit around and interpret that. And one of the ways of interpreting that is um, people are pretty happy with how things are going with their basic uh, institutions and public services. But I didn't want to rest on that too much because I think that um, uh, people could still find out what's going on. All our units of government, uh, park district and school uh, are very transparent. And uh, we owe it to ourselves and our kids and our community to, to get involved, understand the issues. And, you know, hot button issues do come and go. I've seen several waves of them. The current one and the school districts, uh, as Alka knows here, is, uh, has to do with uh, navigating this pandemic and how, uh, how to keep learning um, at the highest levels possible in the most unusual circumstance that I think that these districts have ever encountered. And so that has definitely motivated some people and um, and uh, they're going to probably be coming out uh, and expressing that and, and, and it's a good thing. I think that uh, it's true. I, I really want kids in school. Um, my kids are long gone, but um, so many kids um, uh, particularly, the younger kids are are having a harder time with the distance learning, and it, it it's been a challenge. But uh, people uh, who are in charge of all of this um, and other parents are also right. They want this to be safe, and they want um, you know the community to be safe. And there are still things that we don't know about this virus. So uh, I think that it's it's gotten people interested in this particular topic. Um, uh, but those things do come and go, and the bottom line is, we'll get back to some semblance of normalcy, and the issue will kind of uh, fade away.
1: So we're talking about voting in the election and low voter turnout, and that seems like the baseline level of participation in our in these elections in our in our community. But let's talk a little bit about running for elected office. So, what types of things do you think motivate someone? to run for elected office, especially when we're talking about low voter turnout, right? Who? What's that probably even smaller percentage of folks and, and what motivates them to take, uh, take that on to run for office in these positions?
4: In my experience, service above self, uh, motivation derived from a citizen's own interests and advocacy of what they know and what they're already involved in within the unit of government. They will bring their experience and details that will blend in with the vision of the whole which means they have a learning curve of you know the mission the administration the open meetings act the agenda packets they should be motivated and welcomed into office by the mission and vision and work of the unit of government and not by money status perks or climbing a ladder motivation should be from the hearts and to give to the community the community that they know
6: that's what it should be. And it is for the most part. Um, but, you know, it is true that 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 some candidates are running partly to um, to really call get their name in the community to become more well-recognized for you know, reasons that are unique to them or their business or their and whatnot. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can be a terrific board member. OK. Um, even if that's part of what your personal mission is. But, boy, you like you said, Mary Lou, you better understand that being a board member is a ton of work. And you're reading packets constantly. Um, you're fretting. You're doing a whole lot of things that are going to take a lot of your time and attention. So um, you better have a motivation that's larger than yourself, it really better be about trying to make the community better. And uh, I'll never forget one of my guiding principles on this was when I was 14, I went on a, a canoe trip up in uh, Michigan, uh, Canada, that was put on by um, a local chemistry teacher. And we, the guide said to us before we left off into the bush, uh, he said, there's only one rule. You leave your campsite better than you found it. And I think that that has really served me. And I'm hoping that most people running are trying to leave the campsite better than they found it.
0: That's very well said. I think in talking about that, in in terms of how you've left the campsite or the boards when you served, can you talk about um, some of the accomplishments of the board, either when you were on it or have you been tracking it since then? um, And what some of the most successful things are that, that you're most proud of? Um, either during your tenure or in your wake
5: you know it's a board is a group of seven people so there's really no one person that uh, you know really brings about um, um, a change so it's it's the collective uh, vision and uh, uh, the commitment to the commonly agreed upon goals and the vision and the values of the district, which really drive action um, and activities and programs um, in the administration. Um, I think uh, the district um, certainly has done, uh, I I think the most uh, impressive thing that District 204 has done is... uh, keep their pupil per expenditure, uh, per pupil expenditure uh, quite a bit lower than the state average, and in fact, compared to many other state averages, while at the same time, um, you know, improving um, in virtually every uh, national metric that's used to compare high schools Uh, that's doubly exceptional. And this has been going on, you know, from my time, which was 15 years ago, to continues to be the case. I think that's impressive. Uh, In terms of the more recent, um, I mean, you know, it's there's so many uh, things to be proud of, and it would take a whole separate presentation. Mm But if I could just quickly summarize, I would just say that uh, uh, more recently, the district has... uh, uh, extended or deepened their uh, student focus by adopting goals in the area of equity by having a district-wide level director of equity who is present in all cabinet meetings and works with the superintendent. Uh, also impacted a state-level um, you know, equity um, statement uh, adoption. Uh, on a related topic, uh, the district also has adopted a goal of uh, providing social and emotional competencies to all of the students. And I think these two are very uh, timely goals, um, which the district is really um, working on uh, very actively, and especially at this time, I think it's very valuable. Um, 204 has also been recently involved in some intergovernmental um, you know, agreements with the city of Aurora that uh, really are going to protect tens of millions of dollars um, of, uh, uh, property tax funding over the, uh, the length of the agreement uh, the TIF uh, district you know the the, the, ten, the duration has been reduced from 23 to 15 years. There's also an agreement that uh, it will not generate new students they won't be it won't be used for residential property. Um, traditionally uh, school districts have had very little say. Uh, in how and when uh, municipalities and towns can use t- uh, TIF districts. So I think that's uh, quite significant as well.
6: Let me chime in um, because I really want to echo and punctuate Elka's uh, first point, which is a board member really um, has no power. Um, it's the board as a whole that has the power as it makes decisions in a formal business meeting. So an individual board member can have a particular thing they want to see done, but unless they can convince a plurality of the board, it's not going to happen. And that really speaks to how boards need to be able to get along and work with one another. Okay. And in terms of my own goals, uh, a few of them I won't state, but I, I got involved in the district in the 90s around diversity. I was uh, in a group of parents primarily that um wanted to push the district to um really work hard on being proactive around uh being welcoming uh honoring diversity um and you know uh, i would say the group of 20 parents or so uh almost all of them were african-american and a few um, uh, americans of asian descent um had some stories that weren't um uh, positive. And so we were very interested in looking at how our hiring practices are, what, our, what we're teaching our kids in the classroom, uh, what our curriculum uh, offers, and, and, and so on. So I think when I got on the board, that was an interest of mine, and I tried to push that a little bit. Um, and I think we made some headway as a board, but I think, um, let's put it this way, it's a long road. And so we took a few steps forward. So I'm kind of proud about that.
4: And to piggyback on the importance of an executive director and a board and their power or lack of it, some people look at boards as something you pound nails into. And sometimes as a board member, it feels that way. (laughs) But there is much more um, energy towards um, doing things together, cohesiveness and cooperation. Uh, the relationship that the Naperville Park District had with our schools, as new schools were being built, we partnered with the expanded gyms so that we could share time and share the cost of actually building a better uh, PE facility for the schools. We had, uh, we had the opportunity to grow together as the land became um, disappearing, and because of Congressman Harris-Faywell Land Cash Ordinance, local people recognized local problems and came together to find solutions. Specifically, the, I'm very proud of the park district's uh, executive director. During my six years as a commissioner, we had five executive directors, so you have to get through some tumultuous times to find your feet and get over the hurdles of conflict and misunderstanding and disappointment. And that is very possible because you have a seven-member board that is all interested in finding solutions. So the most recent accomplishments, in addition to the park district having wonderful public forums when they even ask the neighbors, what kind of park do you want in terms of the equipment? Uh, having a master plan that says we'd like to have a park within a half a mile of everybody that lives here. Uh, Wolf's Crossing was just finished, and, uh, and they're continuing to move forward with financial um, security and efficiency in addition to preservation and restoration of land.
1: I think one of the interesting things that a lot of people don't know about boards, both school districts and park districts, as well as nonprofit boards, is that you know the difference between strategic and operational, right? And so most boards are very strategic in nature, while the executive director is usually responsible for more of the operations. But those things kind of trickle down, right? So setting those strategic goals, like you were all talking about, as a board, as a collective that reflect the ideas of um, the constituency, while the the executive director position that you've mentioned a few times uh, really is so responsible for the the operations that happen. And we see both of those things playing out uh, you know, in our community. Um, With that in mind, what are some of the challenges um, for the board in the immediate future? So both for the park district as well as for the school boards, what do you see their greatest challenges being uh, in the coming years?
4: I think for the park district, it's to continue the momentum uh, in a shrinking geographic uh, setting because we're almost at build out. We're not going to be having any annexations of 1,200 acres in one night at city council anymore, like we used to have. Um, And as we move forward, the things people want are going to have less places to put them. For instance, a pool. You know, we've always talked about an indoor pool. Um, But the big question is where to put it. So going forward, it's going to be creative thinking. It's going to be uh, very constructive, creative partnerships that can make something possible that one entity could not do on its own.
5: I think the 204 board, uh, and I imagine even the 203 board, uh, the most uh, pressing thing is to get the school districts in instructional uh, operations back to normal as as soon as possible for the reasons that Dean has mentioned earlier about how it's been over a year now since students have been either remote or hybrid. Uh, definitely prioritize and make a plan for any possible future outbreaks and lockdowns and similar situations. I think one of the very important things is to provide for the board and superintendent to provide the uh, time, encouragement and support to the administration and all the schools and all the staff to really evaluate and document the gaps between the pre-pandemic and the the current remote hybrid learning, uh, and then kind of vertically articulate that um, um, so that uh, the fall instruction can be planned uh, accordingly. I think that's very, very important because if I'm a teacher, uh, I wanna know, I'll, I'll do a better job in the fall if I know, okay, here's what my incoming students normally would have got, but this past year, they did not, you know, because I would know about what I did, but not for the incoming. So I think that's important. Uh, Boards are already doing this, but even more of this is staying abreast of, you know, just local, state, national, and uh, global um, trends, both in education and then also how to best respond to um, something similar if it were to happen sooner rather than later. Uh, And of course, you know, uh, in time, this would take a little more time, but it would be to uh, adjust and revise and come up with new policies and procedures to safeguard student learning and quality staff and district resources and so on.
6: Forgive me for sounding a bit like a cheerleader, but one of the key things would be to um, ensure that we keep doing the wonderful job we're doing. Um, okay. If you go to the District 203 website and look um, under, you know, uh, benchmarks uh, or or essentially the metrics they use it's called a dashboard and we started using a dashboard when I was on on the board but it's the metrics you're really using to compare yourself with comparable districts right mm-hmm. and in district 203 I frankly were way above all our benchmark districts on key indicators and I think the the, the challenge is to keep that going. And and one of the challenges within that is an increasingly um, neurodiverse student body. Um, And that is a challenge for all school districts. Um, And we're putting more and more burdens on teachers with, you know, a third or half their class with IEPs and class sizes are always going to be an issue too. Um, A new challenge, in addition to what Alka said, which I agree with, is how to sort of assess where kids are at and kind of try to ramp them back into where they're supposed to be. If they've lost some ground, I really kind of feel um, is that maybe we've learned something from this uh, remote uh, type of learning too. And I think the business community and corporate America has definitely learned learned something about this because um, some of the bigger companies are saying, you know what, we don't need you to come into the office anymore. And, I, got, I wonder if there might be little snippets of some of the learning that went on um, during this period of time that they might take and say, you know, there, there's some possibilities here that, um, that might work really well for some of our students. And I recall specifically listening to an interview of one of our outstanding students at Naperville North on WBEZ about six months ago, and she was talking about um, how remote learning is fabulous for her because she is able to juggle all of her work and her this and her that, and it's, it's just fabulous. And she had it going on, okay? She was in control. Like a lot of our high school students, you would not believe how in control these people are, what's going on. So um, the older model of the sort of that that satisfies the institution may not be as necessary to be so rigid about that in the future. So I'd be very interested to see how the school districts kind of um, take a look at that.
0: Our elections last year were, were very polarized um, because of partisanship. And um, our local elections are nonpartisan. I think not everybody knows that, but these local elections are non- nonpartisan. What do you think of that, and,
4: and should they be? Well, absolutely, they should be nonpartisan. Nonpartisan elections have been able to uh, allow Naperville to focus on the good of the community rather than the good of a party. Partisan elections weigh heavily on money and control, and too often outside money and outside control. There is systemic structural bias facing candidates running for partisan offices. Um, uh, A partisan would require a few hundred signatures, say, to get on the ballot. And if you wanted to run as an independent, you'd need a few thousand. So you're kind of, what are you going to pick? Probably a party. Um, You know, the, the partisanship leads to cronyism. Uh, it leads to um, money internally changing hands. Examples I could give you, you know, in partisan, you know, in the Forest Reserve back when I first ran, I was a poly. I mean, a, a crony, you know, who already was getting a county salary got, you know, oh, you should be appointed as secretary, giving him ten thousand dollars a year, which applied to his, you know, retirement, you know. Cushion as well, and uh, taxpayers were paying for it. Mm-hmm. With partisans in control, no one objects. Perhaps just they only wait their turn. Not that there can't be good candidates, and there is good structure to getting elected because it's a big job. I mean, even Hamilton the musical, you know, may <laughs> had a little great line in there. Frankly, it's, you know, it's not much fun. But uh, partisan elections, as the Supreme Court uh, has said, it allows outside free speech. And I think the strength of Naperville is its non-partisan elections.
6: Well, uh, Mary Lou feels very strongly about that. And um, I, I, I would absolutely um, uh, jump on that 100%. Um, I've seen smaller units of government who were partisan. And um, what ends up happening is year after year is squabbles and fights on the board themselves between the factions, between the parties, and um, using the um, uh, programs or the staff as footballs to criticize, and instead of being united around what the mission of the organization is, and it really dampens, and this is really important for the role of the board, it dampens the community's trust in the board and therefore in the organization. And um, so uh, one of the real strengths of Naperville has been it's had had nonpartisan boards. Now, when I probably served with 14 board members, and I can tell you, I don't know what parties they might have been involved with. Um, And that's really fine with me. I I was just kind of interested in what their commitment was to what we were trying to do is to better the lives of our students. So, oh man, I, I just hope we stay this way. It's one of our strengths. And I think there's nothing but downside to changing that.
5: I mean, the way I look at it is that every taxpayer wants their tax dollars spent wisely. Every parent wants the best possible education for their children. And every every resident wants to live in a safe community with good schools, jobs, you know, transportation, healthcare, and recreation. And I don't see any of these being a partisan issue. I just can't think of a single reason why local election should be anything but uh, nonpartisan. And I mean, by definition, a community is a group of people with shared interests and attitudes and goals. And so we need to focus on that. Um, So there's just no place for partisan anything.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights and your experience that you brought to share with our viewers. I think there's a lot uh, that we are going to learn this election and we're all excited to move forward with both our park district and our school board elections and see what's in store in the coming years. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Finding Common Ground.